Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Zero Lift Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things motorsports. You're joined by me, Ryan, and I'm joined by two wonderful experts in all things cars, Lenny and John. Motor sports. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Awesome. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a very cool car, uh, super fast car and a wonderful circuit. And those are going to be the C9 and the... Le Mans circuit over in France, a very, very cool circuit that I'm super stoked to talk about. And these guys are excited to talk about the car. So let's get right into it. Uh, who's taking the realm here on this car? Hold on a second. Hold oh, on. Oh, okay. Hold on. We got a lot more to Maybe. talk about before guess, this C9 super guess, fast car. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I got it. Uh-huh. I guess I got it. Slow your roll, y'all. Yeah. People, fans, friends. I'm over here in Saudi Arabia. We had to rejock our business. And now recording in the afternoon after i got off work and these guys it's like balls crack i have to wake up at 5 30 for this uh, which is great i don't know I'm, I'm all i don't know if you could i don't know if you could tell from ryan's voice but he is not feeling i am drinking coffee no red bull at the moment instead of beer <laughs> and whiskey I'm still, I, I still got the mezcal out though so i'm i'm chilling I mean, I can make an Irish coffee. excited. I, I, I can make an Irish coffee, but I just don't. Yeah. You know, that wouldn't be bad for next time. No. It's, um, it's not cold enough yet for Irish coffees, my dude. Hey, dude. Look, before we I talk did, about what we're talking about. We're talking about what we're going to talk about. It's all good. We're going to talk about Mercedes C9, which is one of the most legendary Group C racers. We're going to let you know what Group C even is. We're going to end up talking about Le Mans and like sports car racing writ large. But first, I officially up for business a new apartment here with my very basic sim rig. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. and, yeah, congrats yeah. on having a sim rig. Yeah. Uh, so no motion, uh, no sweet extruded aluminum chassis. I got a, one of those foldable play seat things which is barely stiff enough i can flex it pretty easily but like can make it work uh is it really made my... out of canvas the the seat there it's 100 percent out of canvas yeah it's so, like stretched between the tubes man that's awesome that's interesting yeah that's that's so, like entry level right there bud that's so far back from what you had <laughs> it's way way well the funny thing is that i have a semi-cube sc2 mounted on it which is like a 1500 wheelbase mm-hmm. and and I didn't bring these because I was overdue for a pedal upgrade, so I just bought some and shipped them here. So I have a set of Sim Magic P2000 pedals. So like each component mounted to my frame is worth four to five times what the frame itself is. Um, anyway, uh, it's a Gucci pedal set though. You sent me pictures, all the CNC-ness. That's what I really want. Like, I took it for, uh, it was getting late last night, but I could not have mounted everything, got it set up, and not driven it. Uh, so I did a Nagra lap in a Seto Corsa, and I did the C7R around Road Atlanta. And uh, holy crap, these pedals are spectacular. Nice. Um, I've got these set up. It's not as stiff as it'll go, it's about two thirds to three quarters max stiffness. Um, and I'm not jamming on them because I'll get the frame to flex if I will. So, but like, it, it's got a hydraulic loop in it, and then you can set these springs to determine how much resistance you have. 
to the tactile feel before it engages the load cell. So, you know, you have like a tactile feel that's not, it doesn't really have anything to do with what the electrons the computer sees, right? So it's how it's how it feels to you, the person, versus what it's sending to the computer. Mm-hmm. It's super repeatable, um, like super repeatable. And what was really great is when you're doing threshold breaking, I can get the front sliding and I can, you know, feel it in the wheel or from the sound in the sim and like back off just a smidge of an inch and get them to grab again, like mid braking and downshifting. And I can do that every single corner. Sick. Push it in, get the front sliding and bring it right out. And I know exactly where it's going to grip again. So that, and that was like within five laps. Um, so that's, with that, that's pretty responsive for a rig. You just threw it together. Yeah, yeah, wow. and then and then for like with that level of like just kind of knowing where your foot's at, trail breaking as you can imagine is great. Um, it's also a testament to the sim, right? The set of Corsa and the, and like and the particular car because a lot of times when you get into sims, like each car, you drive one car and it feels terrific, and then like I hopped in an F forty and it felt like a mess. Like I had to redo my force feedback settings entirely. So like like a GT three car and an F forty are gonna they're gonna drive and that's i mean that's the same too with different games as well you kind of have to reset up your rig to every single game you play almost not even bro if you're serious like like the guys that like do iRacing like for real they don't set up the rig to the game they set up the rig to each car well that's how they might even and then they might change the force feedback settings yeah and then they'll even change the force feedback settings like wet versus dry oh yeah yeah and that's real life, though. That's I mean, real in real life, you would adjust those things. Well, but no, that's but I'm talking about force feedback, like because. Yeah, but I would argue you know, that like that, there are nuances that perhaps, you would adjust per car, per wet or dry, on a real car. That force feedback and the feel of the car and dialing that in so that it feels like you're as close to real life as possible. Sure, but I'll I'll tell you, like for instance, like when I was driving the F40 in first gear. When boost hits, the F40 immediately went sideways, and like no amount of opposite lock I put in could save it. Hmm. I'm like, this is not realistic hmm. because I've driven rear wheel drive cars with this much power, same weight. And when you slide, like you just have more time to correct it. And I, it, so it's like an issue of like the tactile feedback coming through the wheel wasn't uh sufficient to like feel what the, what it was actually doing interesting um, and, and so that's just a, a case of me needing to tweak force feedback set because like i said a modern gt3 car and an f40 are not going to be super like in terms of tires and how the wheel feels and stuff Is that leonard yeah john let me ask you a question because you got me you got me thinking you said you're you did an inaugural lap on road atlanta is that your yes. default track that you just kind of do uh, whenever you're trying to shake down a car? Is that like your the, your automatic go-to track, Road Atlanta? Let me tell you. Let me tell you a story uh, oh, about. Oh, jeez, here we Ryan, go. This is the same question. I was. Like, I, I'm sorry if I'm going to take no, this, but I just. You're good. It's a, a a quick, simple yes, so then what the track is because I, I I'm okay. just curious. I had the same question, uh, Lenny. If I'm doing nice. if I'm doing um, doing sports car stuff or Conus stuff, sorry. United States, military habit dies hard. Uh, if I'm doing sports car stuff or like U.S. based stuff, 
Road Atlanta is my go-to. Um, and the reason is, was last year I was supposed to race as a standby driver for uh, 24 hours of Lemons team. And at, the race fell through, but I did a bunch of practice. And I got to know Road Atlanta, and I really like it. Um, if I'm doing international or, like, F1 stuff, it's usually Austria. Okay. I go to. Okay. Ryan? Ryan? Uh, Red Bull Ring is my usual shakedown. Um, like no matter what? Yeah. Uh, pretty much every car I take to the Red Bull Ring to... So like in GT7, I go to the Red Bull Ring and in F1, typically to get things dialed in, I go there. Uh, I, I just... It's a lot of good high-speed, low-speed turns. Um, and it really forces your braking points. And then it has a lot of... Um, safety spots where if you overshoot it you're fine so like turn one's a great example of like how much runoff there is to like dial in your apex at turn one and then turn three being a really friggin' slow have to get it dialed in to get the car in and then to get up to speed for the the straight there and how much power you can put down in the car so it really forces you to dial in your brakes and uh throttle control on any car you get on so and that's even before we get in the back sector and do you agree or disagree with me, but I like, so we like the same track as our default, right? Yes. So um, one thing I like about Austria is I feel like it is a conceptually, like I agree it's a mix of high and low speeds, got some good flow sections, whatever, but conceptually it is an extremely easy track to wrap your head around within about five laps. And so I feel like it, especially like if I'm testing a sim rig or something like that, mm-hmm. it's super easy for me to like, work the rig instead of dealing with me learning the track or being a decent driver. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's a big part of it too. So not only it's a very easy, quick, it's basic, really easy to learn circuit, right? You're not going to go to the Nürburgring to go test your rig. You're going to have a bad time, (laughs) right? That would be terrible. (laughs) Like there are too many turns. So there's, there's not many turns. I think there's 13 turns. Don't quote me on that, but like, um, very low amount of turns to have to worry about. Each of them has an individual characteristic to it, similar to the track we're talking about today, where like every single, there's not like any just forgettable turns. They all kind of have a purpose and a a feel to them. So I think that that makes it a really easy track to learn and then practice on. Um, So like I have my kids or like people that haven't played Sims before that sit down at the rig. I usually start them there as well because it is conceptually very easy track to kind of, get in uh, low 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 floor high ceiling type of track hmm. with lots and lots of runoff everywhere <clears throat> interesting okay Good, Tommy. yeah what about you lenny where do you My? take your sim rig <clears throat> oh it's scuba. scuba it's always scuba yeah I, it's yeah, always been scuba i like scuba Almost for the same. It's almost for the same reason that you guys you guys said conceptually. It's it's pretty easy track to to learn. It's only like nine turns, um, and it's a very easy track to like um, kind of set a benchmark on. So like if you're going one minute around scuba, like no matter what car you're in, it, that's pretty quick, right? And so like, uh, I, I just like that kind of simplicity to it. Unfortunately for me, um, like Ryan loves to say, I'm on Xbox, and so I'm I'm only on Forza <laughs> here, 
And they haven't had scuba in a Forza game since like 2012, 2013. Oh man! So I've got scuba in GT. It's weird. I don't know. And yeah, it really, it really sucks for me. I, I understand. Thank you. You don't have to rub it but in my face. But then, what if, what if you, you, you could, you could stop there because I could do that in my brain. Yeah. I memorize scuba, you know, so much because it's, it's been my default track forever. But anyway, yeah. now I mean, my, my more modern day default, um, it's either got to be Watkins Glen mm. or Brands Hatch. For See, those same reasons, because they're good benchmarks. Branch Hatch uh, would be good to correct. go in the UK. I would say, though, what do you take an F1 car on? Oh, the Glen, man. What do you take an the F1 Glenn car on? Yeah. You you could take an F1 car on the Glen. Okay, let's say you boot up, you get a sim rig, and you get F1 2022. Are you, are you, are you saying you're not man enough to take an F1 car on the Glen? I, it's not in the game. Kind of what I'm so if you're playing the F1 2022 game. Oh, you don't have what? No, I'm... I'm talking GT. Like you could. I you have could it in GT. Car. Yes, I have to. Mm. I have taken an F1 car, and yes, I can do it at Glens. I'm talking. Let's say we have F1 22, and we're doing competitive racing. Where are you going to warm up to get ready for the day? Suzuka. Okay. Inter short or long. <clears throat> the grand, yeah, the GP course. In, Jesus, this guy just puts it to it's the man, wall, folks. Jesus, a man's track right there. <laughs> That's okay. Exactly. Okay. I'm the reason why time. my that name is, is Mr. Zero Lift, okay? Jeez uh, yes, uh, Louise. Man's track there, boys. All right, well, good thing he's going to put himself in the ropes before we even start racing, guys. So you got an advantage here. Don't oh, you? no. No, I got I, I got oh, Suzuka Master, too. That's not a big deal. It's a good warm-up track. How many turns are at Suzuka? If I know, but I know what my time is, and it's faster than you. Oh, jeez, Louise. I got the magic stick. Yeah, apparently. Uh, yeah, and also Red Bull Ring has uh, Red Bull has 10 turns, by the way. Uh, so I was a little high on the uh, the turns there. So let's let's get to talking about the Saber C9, which does have, uh, you know, some roots in F1. It's like... But that's is we're, we're not talking Saber about Saber or Saber. 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 Yeah, Saber. Okay. I'm just making sure I'm not messed up. It's my fault. I just Saber is just cool. Cooler. Yeah. Saber. I don't disagree. Mm. Anyway, it's Saber. Saber. It's Swiss, guys. It's Swiss. No, we're talking about the eighties. We're talking about group one, mainly because I love the eighties and its opulence and its excess. It's just everything all at once. And like everybody's going fast. All right, when it is doesn't it matter if you're on the gravel. You, yeah, I, you know, I'm pretty sure. You know, I'm, I'm. This is just a testament to my conspiracy theory that the cocaine drug market fueled all of motorsports in the '80s. Everybody was had all the money. Everybody wanted to go the fastest. No, like air, ground, water, dirt, gravel, Act. in the air, Act. like snow Act. everybody was going fast space if you have been listening to this podcast for any amount of time don't think that the 80s was the golden age of pretty much all motorsports then yeah been zoning out during all our episodes uh i want to disagree with the 80s you're in disagree of course <laughs> i haven't listened to any of our episodes oh yeah obviously like <laughs> Like when you didn't edit yourself not talking yeah. for five minutes in the last one. Yeah, I accidentally hit the mute button. I fixed the hotkey, folks. I fixed the hotkey. 
Ryan's got similarities to Kermit. He doesn't like to hear himself or see himself on screen. It's it's true. Uh, Kermit the Frog here. I don't personally like it when I show <laughs> anyway, up. Anyway. Yeah, don't get Kermit talking about Steve. Right. Oh, sorry about that. Um, I, I went on a tangent before we hit it. Um, it made Lenny upset. You guys just dragged it out. <laughs> talking about Everybody's Kermit heard us. Steve for like seven minutes. <laughs> Oh, that's Kermit's. I'm not going to do that. Everybody's group. Hobbit. We had a bright idea. So like we do this thing, as y'all may know, where we randomly talk about a car or something that is rad. And we randomly decided we were going to talk about the C9. Is the only, the second Mercedes to ever win at Le Mans. Um, the only other one to ever win at Le Mans was in 1952. Um, it's kind the of a big deal. Arrow. The other Silver Arrow. Uh, kind of a big deal. It was, I, you could debate that it was like the inaugural thing that got Sauber involved in F1. And they're one of the like you know, perennial mainstay, kind of always going to be there companies that are in F1. Uh, but they're not although I guess their future right I guess their future after next season's uh, up in the air so they're no longer sober either they're just they haven't been for a minute even though they are it's like well it's it's, it's Alfa Tari right? that's like saying that or Alfa Romeo Alfa Romeo would be who bought them out but they're no longer sober yeah. they're officially not participating season yes yeah but they've been involved in F1 since the 90s yeah. Your partnership this is all this is all post this yeah. particular era of racing. Yeah. So in the eighties, as you know, Group B, holy crap, uh, Turbo Formula One, RIP Arts and Senna, like, oh my god, some of the craziest cars, the best racing of all time. One mm. thing it we haven't talked about at length to some of the other motorsports, but it did affect was also sports car racing. Sports car racing, the infamous class, didn't end up being Group B. It ended up being Group C. Uh-huh. As reasons. Uh, group C was like... Uh, a corollary to today's racing would be like the LMP, like, prototype. Like the Audis that look like a spaceship. Um, yeah, that's kind of what Group C was. So Group A for sports cars was production-based cars that were small boys. Group B for sports cars was production-based cars that were big boys. And Group C was prototype racers. So the cars you can't buy. Correct. But a unique thing about Group C, and the reason that it eventually died is that the engines had to be based on a car that was homologated in Group A or B. On that in a second. Hmm. Um, so the difference was in Group B in rally racing, nobody raced a prototype in rally racing. They just weren't interested. Nobody tried. There wasn't competition for it. So the big class in rally racing was Group B, which was the big production-based cars. Group C in sports car racing, there were a bunch of people that wanted to race prototypes. It had There was a precedence behind it. Because, you know, stories about the Porsche and the 917 and Mons and Steve McQueen and 
Ford versus Ferrari and all that crap. Like that's all what would basically be Group C. It was under a different name, but that's the class of racing that we're talking about. So in the 80s, turbochargers came to Group C also. Oh my God. So it's hard to find a direct one-to-one comparison, but Group C era... Some of these cars were reaching straight line speeds, like well in excess of Formula One cars at the time. Mm-hmm. And making more downforce than almost, I think, I don't know about, again, don't know about Formula One. I can't remember the numbers, but like more than any other, like, close top bodied sports car ever has in the history of motorsports. I think the figure that. C9 quotes, or that, uh, what was the Peugeot? It was that just was over also 400 six. kilometers an hour. It was like 251 miles an hour. Sorry. Yeah, yeah they're going 250 on the straight. But the more impressive thing I thought was that over 200 miles per hour, they were generating in excess of 4,000 pounds of downforce. Yeah. Is that aero downforce or mechanical downforce? It's probably a combination of both. Yeah, because, I, I mean, know. like, if you look at – Everything outside of F1, they pretty much rely on mechanical downforce instead of, like, aero. Well, yeah, and and you know, it was probably more mechanical downforce because at that time, ground effect technology was, was still new and coming into play. So mm-hmm. I doubt uh, they had much aero downforce that they had already developed. But, like... No, so had... Group, C, Group C was, like, the first oh. racing class to make extensive use of downforce. Uh, and that was actually oh, one of the big deals about, aero about the C9 its, itself. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, wait, when you guys say, say aero, you, you guys say aero versus mechanical, what? So that's the whole thing where like F1 cars produce enough downforce to drive upside down in a tunnel. Uh, whereas an Indy car cannot do that. But they both have downforce, but they're, uh, the downforce of F1 is created by the purely by the aerodynamics versus the mechanical grip of uh it's not what, grip it's, is it, not it's not downforce it's a mechanical it's a, the grip is basically caused by really almost the tires versus where like the tires don't matter and i, I don't explain i need to when, i need when to you talk you talk pounds of downforce when you talk pounds of downforce that's how much pressure is pressing down on the car due to its interaction with the wheel yes and so like i think only and I might need to look this up. Only in F1 is that like excessive of like the mechanical grip, essentially that other like sports cars would have. So like, oh, but my point is, is that if a Sauber is on that same part, C9 is if C9 is making four thousand pounds of downforce, that means theoretically, old car upside down to the ceiling, weighing up to four thousand. Yeah, if it's at speed, right. Which is an absurd, like, you know, the Viper ACR before they discontinued it when it came out. And it's a production car, but everybody was like, oh, my God, the Viper ACR is the craziest aerodynamic car ever made. It makes so much downforce. And I think at like 150 miles per hour, the ACR makes something like 1,000 pounds. Which for a production-based automobile is insane. This is making four times that 30 years ago. That's nuts. Just it, it's a lot of engineering going on. Um, the C9 was 
So Sauber was trying to make sports cars in the 70s with questionable success. They're in Switzerland. They're trying to flirt with Mercedes, who's a big car company. And Group C was popping off because after Ford versus Ferrari in the 60s, sports car racing, everybody loves it. It's crazy. It's arguably faster and more exciting than F1 at the time. What happened? Bernie and the FIA and all those D-bags. What do they do? They got rid of all engines over five liters. Sorry, I'm hitting the table. Apologies. Uh, got rid of all engines over five liters and basically said you had to use F1 engines. What did it do? It killed the sport. Nobody gave a shit about sports car racing throughout the 70s. And started to relax the regulations. People started putting turbochargers on stuff. What happened? Porsche comes back, 962, Group C, and starts just slapping people left and right. People are getting excited about Group C. Sauber's like, I've been wanting to build a sports car. Oh, Mercedes, what's up? They were playing with BMW. BMW didn't want none of that smoke. So took a basically production Mercedes V8, slapped some turbochargers on it, and built this custom monocoque horizontally, um, like horizontal suspension shocks to like lower the center of gravity. I think that was the first race car to do that. I don't know if that it was, was the first to do that, but it is so rad. Yeah. <laughs> if you look your under the hood, if you look under the hood of the C9, I love it because it's it's business in a way that I don't think modern cars really are. The whole clamshell in the back comes up. I mean, the car looks hard. It, it looks fast, just standing still. It looks like it wants to shoot a bunch of steroids, break into your house, steal your girlfriend. Like it, it, it looks rad, and um, it's got all the NACA ducks. When the rear clamshell opens up, you got this big Mercedes V8. Which, for those of you that have never driven a Mercedes V8, you're missing out. Super rad. And they strap two fat ass turbochargers. You can see. The waste gates, like right in front of the rear tires, and the waste gates are the size of your head. Um, and then right next to the waste gates, you've got the shock absorbers that are going front to back, like in line with the frame rails of the car. And the reason they do that is they just have a, a linkage that when the wheel goes up and down, like normally it's connected directly to the shock, right? It just compresses it. They have it on a linkage that like redirects that force 90 degrees. All that does is allows the car to be shorter. You don't have that vertical space, heel shock absorber to the mount in the car. So they just lay that whole thing over sideways so you car can be lower. It's, uh, for me, like all the exhaust yeah, piping and the like engine and the lower center of gravity, right, John? Like that, that that's what I'm saying. Center. It makes yeah. yeah, it makes the car lower. It makes the car physically shorter, which means that you know, if you don't have any stuff up there, the center of gravity is going to be lower. Um, Which a lot of cars do this. It just, I don't know. I don't know. Something about like, something about the way that car looks with the clamshell open just looks super big. Something about the the whole atmosphere of group C and all the engine setups that that came out of there. Like all, it was, was, everybody was running V8s in group C, right? Everybody was running turbo V8s. 
And so like uh, I if you you were allowed, I, th I think you were allowed up to 12 or 16 cylinders, but that's what most people ended up doing. Uh, the Porsches that were kicking ass were all turbocharged flat sixes. Um, yeah. That's another uh, thing that to you see. Toyota, Toyota was running the the 1UZ. That's where the 1UZ came from. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nissan was using uh, the V8. Hold on. Uh, let me look. At, I don't know the engine code off the top of my head. Oh, I do. I have it here. It's the VRH35Z, so it was a 3.5-liter twin-turbo, 32-valve V8 that Nissan was pumping out there in Group C racing in the 80s. That's crazy. Gnarly. Yeah, you know, there's a lot. And, oh, by the way, uh, C9, for instance, one of the most dominant examples, but, you know, everybody's in the ballpark, but taking about 800 horsepower, and it weighs about 2,000 pounds. I mean, it, it's it's uh yeah. it's great if you, if you listen to some like interviews of guys that drove this car some guys say it was of the most at least in le mans spec with the, which is the low downforce spec so they could hit the top speed on the straight they said it is one of the most difficult cars to drive what i find interesting <laughs> though is that the torque curve is the turk curve ugh, words quirk curve the torque curve twice wrong differently i know thanks uh is actually pretty uniform between 3000 and 6000 rpm so like the engine itself was flexible but like the combination of everything together makes this a, a hard car to kind of control oh no it's yeah it's so. not that it's not that uh it's not that the engine is like super peaky or untractable. I mean, it's a big, it's a five liter V8, which for the for the motorsport they're participating in is a lot of V8. 800 horsepower with a twin turbo five liter V8 is not, it's not a ridiculous amount of power for that displacement. So you can have a decent curve. Super peaky. Yeah. It was only, they redlined at 7,000 RPM. So they weren't super high right. RPM engines, which made the engines decently reliable. Yeah. What um, you need when you're racing for 24 hours. That's the other thing about Group C racing is Group C racing was all set up to be an endurance race of at least 1,000 kilometers. So everything had to last. Yeah. Yeah. Built to last. But, uh, but the thing was is that, yeah, it's not super peaky or anything like that, but it's just, it's so light. It makes so much power. The speeds you're dealing with are so high. There's no traction control. There's no ABS. There's no computers. Um, really nothing. It's it's. It's a really it's it kind the of sheer acceleration would probably make it the uncontrollable part hard to control. You no, know, you know what it reminds me of is it reminds me of the Porsche um, 917s from back in like sixties, um, the flat twelves. Mm. Reminds me of like mm. a reincarnation of that, where it was just like this is a coffin that goes a million miles per hour and. How do you drive this thing? Pure efficiency. Um, yeah. Pure efficiency. And to think to do like 400 kilometers down the Mulsanne Strait, like, whoo-wee, buddy. Yeah. So that's the other thing. So the first year they built these things, they couldn't get them to finish a race. It was a disaster. In 88, um, it did Mo Betta. I think they finished. Just a little bit Mo Betta. Yeah, they finished what? third fourth and fifth or something like that in 88 in the driver's championship which is, yeah which is good which is real good um i think second it, in the constructors cup right yes the other force to be reckoned with here was jaguar 
Jaguar. Oh. Now, you have to realize, too, uh, that in 87, they were Kuros racing, and in 88, they started getting some money from Mercedes. So, well, that's, yeah, throw money right. at so it. Sa- <laughs> Sauber in 87 was this independent outfit that was trying to make a sports car, came up with this thing. They were kind of flirting with Mercedes. They got some support from Mercedes, but, like, they were actually an independent outfit. And then 88... Yes, Mercedes liked what they saw, and it, Sauber became the factory-sponsored official Mercedes Group C team. Um, dang it, I like pounding the desk. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, bud. <laughs> Get you a pillow um, next to you, all right? Get you a pillow then, but then, a pillow. No, but then in 89, they won pretty spectacular fashion. They won every race in the series but one. Came in first, second, fifth. Uh, they were the first time that Mercedes, or the second time ever that Mercedes won Le Mans, and the only time since. Uh, um, and they set a new speed record down the Milan Strait at 400 kilometers per hour, so fast that it caused the FIA to change the circuit and put a chicane in the middle of the straight so that you couldn't go that damn fast. Um, 400 kilometers an hour being, I think, 248. Eight. Miles an hour, correct at 248, just shy of 250. Um, ludicrous speed, absolutely. Yeah, that's really fucking fast. And and that wasn't even the fastest for the groups here, right? No, 251. 251 251 was the Peugeot. You said before, yes. Um, so I have, I have on top of these cars going redonkulously fast, you also have in the late 80s, we have Senna. And you also have a gentleman racing one of these cars that got in an accident. So there was multiple kind of the FAA safety was a big deal in the late 90s as we're or late 80s in early 90s. The FAA kind of rethinking a lot of the safety protocols. So this is this going way too fast. And it's in a particular straight. You have Senna passing away. You have uh, one of the drivers actually of the C9 um, getting in a pretty good accident that he walked away from. Um but just the overall Senna's death really impacted safety across all of motorsports, uh, big time, when it comes to safety stuff, which I think is quite interesting. Now, I, I'm I, you guys are saying 250 is really fast, um, but we're still getting up to 200 miles per hour, even with the two chicanes they've added. How much of a like, I guess. Is it like decibels where like 200 feels and 250 feels so much faster, like 100 to 200? What does that feel like in a car, right? So like first, the this probably to what your your story about uh, the FIA and the safety and Senna's death. Senna's death wasn't until 94, right? And so like uh, this uh, change on – the Mulsanne straight for Le Mans due to safety concerns or whatever is probably what started the FIA's oh, real yeah. enforcement into safety, I would say. Because at 250, you're going, especially at Le Mans, right? It's a long, the Mulsanne straight, or, you know, what is the, the proper name for it, Ryan? You're uh, the track nerd. There's a, there's a French, uh, man, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but it'll be all right. I, so it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a uh, Huna Dares. So it's H U N A U D I E R E S. And that's, so Mulsanne is actually the town at the end of the Mulsanne straight. Um, and I also want to point out too, not only are you doing 250, 
most people are probably thinking in their head, optimal conditions, it's sunny outside. This is a 24-hour race. You're also doing this in the dark. And this track is massive. And so Molson can have different weather than you do at the starting line, i.e. rain. So imagine going... I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> so I'm like... really glad you said that. And not not really the rain. No, think more more mundane than that. Think night. like a, a three-mile-an-hour gust of wind while you're going 250 miles an hour down the Mulsanne Strait. Yeah. Uh, then you think of all the arrow and the ground effect that is on the cars and how that and how wind could affect that, right? And there's much history and documentation to prove this of cars just flipping over from the front because the you know mark webber air there's a, there's a ton of names yeah this, this has happened a lot at at le mans particularly even now in the modern area with those chicanes in is you know you get a gust or a little bit of air underneath the front of your car going to plus 200 miles an hour it's going to flip it and like going to flip you over yeah. from the front to the back yeah they'll be doing backflips down the straight and so like you could say that the fia really put a damper on on the speed speed festivities yes but they were still hitting 200 miles 200 plus miles an hour after the chicane oh yeah and um i argue the chicane's what's the make difference it better. between 250 and 200 <laughs> yeah what's probably the not a lot okay i don't know i haven't gone 250 in so a you've car, gone 200 you know? and you've gone 100 is there a exponential difference between those feeling wise oh absolutely and what about 150 absolutely it, from 100 to 150 is that exponentially absolutely gotcha okay yep. so i mean i so what uh oh, John's coming in. You know, oh. I have an unpopular opinion. Oh, perfect! I love those. So, I think top speed runs are hideously boring. Yes, mm. I agree. Um, don't get me wrong. Yeah, sign straight at two fifty during a Le Mans race, and then breaking into the next corner. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy. But general. Just like, oh my God, what's it like to go 200 miles per hour? It's about the same as it's like to go 50 miles per hour. It's just the scenery goes by faster. Um, <laughs> <laughs> your your brain just can't recognize it at that point, is what you're saying. It's just like, no, no, my brain can recognize it. It's just like, there's nothing going on, dude. Like, yeah, yeah. I have had the GTR. I've had a couple of Mercedeses on the Autobahn up to about the 260, 270 APH. So that's like what? 160, 170 miles per hour. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've had a couple motorcycles up in the 150 to 160 range. That's terrifying. Like, it's like boring as fuck. It is. Like, and that, okay. I agree with you. That's why. On 170. I, uh, I did in GT, you can do. Le Mans with with the chicanes and without and like it is way more fun with the chicanes on top of that you also have because you're even between the different three sections of the straights you're going so fast your brakes are cooling down and so now you get the fun braking my brakes aren't at temperature necessarily for this chicane and you get one that's a right left and you get one that's a left right it's great man and then you still have three fairly top speed sections, but they're broken up almost perfectly. So they 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 really nailed it where they place these chicanes, in my opinion. Yeah. So I'm. I agree with you. That's 100%. just my opinion. Going straight for long periods of time um, is boring. 
<clears throat> yeah, I've only I've only gone that fast once, and I haven't found a reason to do that again. So, <laughs> well, it, the thing about like on a motorcycle is funny because it's like in this trying to suck you off. What oh, phrasing? <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> what is happening to your motorcycle? Uh, sorry. sorry, sorry about that, ladies and gents. What motorcycle uh, are you riding? Okay. Uh, wow. I'm wow. Jesus. Uh, the wind is trying to want you to get off of the motorcycle. It want, it doesn't want you on the bike anymore. I'm I'm never gonna talk about this ever again. It wants to get um, you off, John. So the wind wants to get yeah, you wants off. And wants to get me off. Um, it's like. It's like the bike's just like going straight. So just kind of hunker behind the windscreen. And you're just like, it's like okay, okay. Yeah, and like no, this is cool. I guess no engine noise changes. You're just it's just so drab, man. There's the hyper. Well, the, yeah, if, if there's engine noise changes when you're going that fast, it's not good, buddy. No, exactly. And so like, there's just no excitement. I, there's a hyper X like the really long. You can go straight forever track in GT, and it's just like, okay, I've maxed out my speed, and now I just sit here. There, it's just boring. It's just there. It's, it's anyways. I think that they did a great job of this. I think that they the chicanes not only for a safety standpoint, but also from the racing standpoint are a bonus. Uh, that's kind of what I've doing all my research and everything like that and racing the fastest cars I could uh, in GT really the chicanes make it more, more fun you have to pay attention you don't zone out now I did watch a 1950s Jaguar D do a track loop uh, in black and white that was pretty cool and that's before a lot of these changes um, happened and one thing that he mentioned though is the nice thing about the long straight would be that they basically get to rest which makes sense, especially oh, in the yeah. 1950s when you yeah. don't have all of the things and you have to muscle the car around. So, I th- and you know, this is would be like Ford versus Ferrari era, where the straight gives you time to basically kind of relax a little bit and like, y- you know. Um, now, granted, too, this is a 24 hour race. It's not just one person. Uh, it's a three man team. Typically, they're allowed to go four hours, and uh, you're arranging pit stops with the swaps and everything. It's 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 insane. If you haven't seen it happen, you should. It's pretty cool to see. So this is where, again, you're going for a long time. You're going at night. And so your breaking points are absolutely critical and like trying to figure out where those are. Again, multiple times throughout a straight keeps you more aware versus just kind of zoning out on the straight. I don't know. Le Mans still is just full of crashes. It is a very yellow flagged race, to say the least. Oh, it's Le Mans. Yeah, there is no safe turn. It's a long race. Shit happens. There is no safe turn. Oh. It's an 8.46 mile race. Very long. Listen this out, and I won't get too far into it because we could almost do an episode on this on its own. Yes, indeed. Uh, e, some maybe somewhat owing to the C9, somewhat owing to the Porsche 962 Porsche. Excuse me. Before it, um. Group C went away very shortly after the C9 because just like the FIA did for Ford versus Ferrari era times, uh, they did the same thing where they tried to mandate the sports car racing having basically an F1 engine drove the cost to compete way, 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 way up and got fan interest way, 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 way down so bad they were literally like demonstrations and protests against the FIA rule because 
like seeing cars based on things they can buy. Yep. And manufacturers like vehicles that are cheap. Yep. Once you put Formula One engine, Formula One budget into a sport that has less exposure and less purse and all that stuff than Formula One does, why would I compete in sports car racing? So I will say this. So the sports car series actually died in 1993. Like it got canceled because no one signed up for the the race. (laughs) Nobody signed up? Literally went away. Wow. Nobody came. Because of the three liter Formula One architecture mandate and the small companies were like, we can't afford to do this. That's why Sauber stopped sporting a Mercedes team sports car and they just focus on their F1 endeavors and they're still a big F1 company now. Um, that's what happened to Group C in sports car racing and why Group C died just like Group B did, just like the Turbo F1 cars did um, because of the FIA and dumb decisions. Um, I will say this. I will say this. The three liter F1 sports cars are effing bad. So, like, they're too expensive. They killed the sport decision but holy crap those cars are friggin rad there's a toyota version was a 50 valve v10 that revved 13,000 rpm (laughs) it's something like it was like 700 horsepower naturally aspirated it sounds like an f1 car and it's that's what's up up. look up the three liter early 90s like to 90 like 91 to 93 they're gnarly nar nar also fuck them they also fuck them because they ruined the race series um oh i got (laughs) all right and that's the sauber c9 the flying silver arrow of the 80s yeah man the the long start to me having to deal with lewis hamilton yeah. <laughs> kind of yeah actually kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely 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 it's a stupid c9 anyways all right yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter max is winning this week and it's race week we're going to singapore folks we're yeah max f1 is back has the opportunity to win the championship and uh don't ever say lulu didn't have any competition because he did Anyways, let's get into I'm the exci- game. I'm, exci- I'm super excited for Singapore night race. Let me just say, I'm I love that the Singapore City night race is back. Did, oh, sidebar. Did, too. did you see that Vegas is going to be on Saturday in the night race? It's uh, first time a Saturday race has happened in a while. Huh? Yeah. Did, I did not see that. Yes, they're doing it on Saturday night in Vegas because obviously, if we did it in Sunday night in Vegas, we'd have people. Americans uh, having to go to work uh, from Vegas on Monday. Don't, That's not going to. Don't think oh, don't it's check. a Saturday it, race. I think it's a Sunday race. I think it's one a.m. Sunday race, if depending on where in the world you are. But in America, it will be Saturday night. Was it? Was one a.m. Mm. I thought that was a troll. I thought the one a.m. thing was a troll. Yeah. I, I, oh, am I wrong? I did I fall? Did I take the bait? Probably. Just like. <laughs> just, did you oh take, my god. Did you take the bait for the uh, Bonato meme too being fired? That, yeah, uh, that I one. did until I, I saw the signature at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. You can find other silly memes about F1 and other car things at our Discord Zero Lift Podcast. Let's get into our game of choice. Uh, we are doing what I wish I was driving. I'm going to let Kermit take the rules. Oh my gosh. Okay. So uh, what I wish I was 
Oh god, wait, you want me to do it in the Kermit voice? <laughs> yeah, do it. Let's go. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, thanks for coming, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, we're going to play What I Wish I Was Driving. It's uh, basically our automotive version of 20 questions. So, hey, Ryan picked a car, and uh, Lenny and me are going to try and guess what car it is. But we can only ask yes or no questions, and uh, we can't guess the car until the end. So if we guess a car and we get it wrong, then we lose. Uh, is, that, is that enough? That's Thanks, Kermit. You can go hang Perfect. out with Steve again, bud. <clears throat> Anytime. Okay. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Everyone, can you from Kermit? That was really good. Good, wonderful. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. We had a special guest Kermit today, folks. You didn't even know. We... I hope we don't get copyright struck for that. That was like spot on. Uh, we probably won't. Uh, All right. So, the game. Let's go. That. Ask that some the questions. Hint? Yeah. The hint. Yeah. What's the hint? Got... It's a car. It's uh, <laughs> uh, generational and specific on car. Model, model and generation specific. Correct. Is, is this America? This... America, no. This European. Euro, yes. Rear wheel drive. Rear wheel drive, no. Uh, oh, it's not rear wheel. Um, is it an Audi? Is it an Audi? No. Damn, I thought I was going to get it. Uh, does this car use some version of all or four wheel drive? Yes. Is this a German car? No. Is this car naturally aspirated? No. I will drive on German. Horse conduction. German. Wheel drive. That is that is different. A lot of all wheel drive. Is this car now. from Sweden? Is this a Swedish car? Yes, and Swedish. Oh, freaking clutch, bro! John, it's a Volvo. It's got to be. Is this a Volvo? It is a Volvo. Is this a wagon? It is a wagon. Oh my god. Does it have S in its model name? Does it have S in its modern model name? Mm, no. Uh, how should I hmm. word this? Is this uh, automatic transmission? Is this automatic transmission? Um, can be. I don't know how to answer that. So, like, specifically in this situation, I'd say no. But let me double check here. Hold on. Hey, am I wrong? I'm the eight fifty. Only came in the manual. Hmm. Eight fifty did come with it. 
Hold on, I'm trying to figure out. I don't want to lead you guys. I want to say probably automatic more than manual. We'll say we'll just say maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think it's conclusive. Well, if it's the car that I'm thinking it is. Okay. Uh, is this a five cylinder? Is it a five cylinder? No. Was this car produced in the 80s? 80s, no. Was this car produced post-2000? Post-2000, yes. Hmm. Hmm. Turbo all-wheel drive Volvo that doesn't have a five-cylinder? I don't know. It's a more it modern post, Volvo. Yeah, post-2000 isn't... Brian, are you sure this is not a five-liter, a five-cylinder? Uh, yeah, let me uh, double check that for sure. These five cylinders. Uh, I, you know what? Let me let me let me uh, ask you a question then. Uh, fuck that. Mm. Is this a is this a two point five liter? Is this a two point five liter? Uh, would it be classed as that? Um, let's see. What are you talking about? Would well, it be classed as I'm that? I'm just making sure because it's no, it's not two point five. No. Not a 2.5 liter, not a five cylinder Volvo I'm... engine, which they're, but it's post 2000s, you say, and it's a wagon. Mm-hmm. Does this have R in its model name? Like somewhere along the whole entire name? Or like. Well, what? Volvo what? doesn't have any R. <laughs> There's no R in Volvo, so like it could only be in the model name of the car. And so, yes, I'm asking you, is there an R somewhere in the wording of the model <laughs> yes. of this car? Yes, there is an R somewhere in the model. Pretty sure. So, like, 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 that'd be like, Lenny, is there an E in your name is what you're asking, correct? Yes. Okay. I mean, Jeez, yes. That's a, okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird question to sure. double Very double. Sure. Man. Uh, I'm a little lost here, John, because like I'm pretty sure yeah. Volvo makes I'm, is like known for making five cylinder engines. Almost positive Ryan picked a car nobody cares about. And and like in the post two thousands, they ran a lot of two point five liter turbo engines in their nice models. Um, Could be wrong though. Very, very. I bet he picked some. I bet he picked a hybrid Polestar. <laughs> Ken's calling it a Volvo because they make it. I bet he picked some kind of hybrid Polestar. That's my <laughs> guess. 
I don't know those brands or that, that you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that model range enough to I really think talk about it. Is it could only really be one, one wagon. I think it's a successor to the S 70 R V post 2000 T8. Oh, unless he's talking about like that. Yeah. No, the V70R, like the 2004-2009 model, I think. The, I'm pretty sure year. it's a Polestar, and that's why he was being so weird about the letter R, because if it was a V70R, I don't think he would have been like, well, uh, did you mean like with it, like in it? And that's why I think it's a Polestar, because Polestar has an R in it, but it's like just a part of the word, not mm. part of the model. Um. I don't know enough about what goofy ass S- or, uh, station wagon hybrid station wagons Polestar makes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. Also, not really an enthusiast car, so oh, like, yeah. I just don't know anything about them. Sure. Uh, Polestar makes some gnarly stuff, but uh, Ryan loves to like force hybrids down our throats, so. I, I don't I don't have a legit then, then, guess because yeah. then then shoot your shot with the Polestar. What what is it? Yeah, I don't what? know what the model name is. This a Volvo T8 Polestar? Okay. Thing. T what? <laughs> a T what? T8. 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 As an Ocho. Ocho 8? Oh, no, you mean like Tango 8. Okay. Uh, no. You're close, though. What other kind what of There's no T8. It doesn't go up to T8. They stopped at T5. Yes, there is. No, they did not. Oh, God. If you're looking at the 2000 models, and then they go to... Uh, no. There's definitely a... A T8. T8. That came out post... Oh, that's true. 2019. So I actually went back to the generation before that, which would be... Uh, the what is the car? It's the Polestar 2016. Yeah. What? What? The, 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 the Polestar the, what? The 2016 Volvo V60. Uh, so the reason I liked it is it has the well, the full engine code would be the B634T5. It has the 2953 cc engine and it's got the inline six turbo which is why it doesn't have a five cylinder so it's the 2016 pulsar wagon correct mm-hmm. that no one fucking cares about hey i, I, I thought... nah, <laughs> i'm not i it's no no he just he just picked a niche we're not familiar with this is fair it's a cool car um, it's a goofy car. It's not necessary. You have to realize it's I, a fair pick, man. No, I have to go pick. to these lengths to beat these guys in this game. Okay, you have to understand. It's a fair pick. Here's <laughs> the thing: I don't like. I don't like picking new cars just because you don't know what's gonna be hype. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like right now, this is a car that like. I don't know, some guy that's an executive at some company is going to buy, and it's not like a car that anybody's going to play with. 
Um, but I mean, it's no, they're cool. They're it's, they're it's real a cool, cool, functional car. I think it's got a little bit of whip to it. I mean, it's got an inline six turbo. It produces 350 PS or 345 brake horsepower at 5,250 RPMs. I mean, that's oh, totally cool. in line with my type of car. Although I wouldn't well, have like the wagon my, wheelbase. my statement. I retract my statement. Yeah, it's it's, oh, it's fair. I just I thought time. I was just salty for losing. That's okay. I was I was salty because I thought you picked an inline five car and fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did mess um, up. I did mess up because it, technically I confused you guys with sixteen. Is it racing? And the S designation, I should have said yes in that sense. If I were, because I don't know, I was trying to get you guys close because it, the car did go racing, but it was the S variant basically of the Polestar. So with uh, Cyan Racing, I guess. Mm. Um, I, th- I think, I don't know. It confused me. I wanted to always get you in the ballpark closer. But yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's another silly uh, hatchbacky sort of goofy car that I picked. That's not a JDM or some fancy luxury. Just your everyday sleeper car with 300 horse ponies. That's Super neato. There you go. Folks. I like it. Uh, it's been another episode of zero lift. <laughs> talked about fast cars, talked about slow cars. You can talk to us on Instagram and Twitter at zero lift podcast, or join our discord where we post memes and discuss things like your car breaking. Um, so all sorts of good stuff there. I've been Ryan. I've been joined by the experts, Lenny and John. Thanks for joining us. Keep it pinned. Mario, mate.